good to see this number out tonight. Appreciate very much you being here. Those who are visiting from other places, we want you to know how much we appreciate uh, you coming and being a part of this series of studies tonight, and we appreciate very much. Some have traveled some distance to be here, and for that, we're grateful and thankful. I failed to mention this uh, throughout the week. appreciate those who are listening in the parking lot and those who are viewing as far as the live stream. We appreciate all those who have uh, participated in that way, and we're certainly thankful and grateful for that. It would really be ungracious uh, on my part not to say just a few things, and so I hope that you'll bear with me for just a, just a moment. I'll try not to take much of your time. Uh, l- let me uh, apologize deeply for my phone going off last night. I-, I cut that off coming down the interstate. I told Sylvia, I said, I'm going to cut this off now so that this won't happen. And for some reason, and for the reason I have no idea, it got turned back on somehow. I'm not sure how it did that. So it's in the car tonight. So uh, I said, uh, if somebody wants to call me, they can call me when I get out in the car. So, And the amazing thing about that was is the person that called me didn't intend to call me. That's, that's the amazing thing. I called him back. He, he apologized. He said, you know, I, I thought you probably up preaching. I said, yep, I was. And uh, so <laughs> you're exactly right. But I, and I hate that, that that happened. That's the first time. And uh, I didn't want that ever to happen, but uh, it did happen. So, but let me apologize for that. Uh, I'd like to thank the elders for asking me to come uh, and to participate in this series of studies and their selection of the, the topic made it easier for me. Uh, in, uh, if somebody selects what I need to preach on, that, that helps me a lot. And so I, I appreciate them and appreciate them selecting that particular topic. I have great uh, admiration for them. I love them very deeply. And I, I want all of you to know how much I love you, how much I care for your souls. If you know me, that's, uh, that's my feeling toward you. I, I want only the best for you. And I want you to go to heaven in the worst kind of way. And if I can have just a little part in helping you to get there, it's worth every effort that I make. And so may God bless you and may God bless your efforts. You know, I'd like to thank all those who have led the singing from night to night. And Matt did an excellent job tonight and all the others have done an excellent job in the selecting of songs. And You know, the person that made the announcement, have, they have the hardest job, to me at least. Uh, th- that's one thing that uh, I don't care that much about. I'd hold us rather somebody else make announcements. I'd rather preach than make announcements a- anytime. Uh, but I appreciate uh, them that's doing that. Uh, for all those who have led in prayer, you've done an excellent job of directing our minds to God. And I appreciate uh, Terrell tonight and, and uh, all those who have, have, have prayed to, and led us in prayer from night to night. I, I appreciate that too, so, so very much. For all those who have had us in your home, I from the bottom of our heart, we want to thank you and appreciate uh, you, that for, uh, for that. I forgot to mention Cameron and Jennifer from night to night. Jennifer fixed a dessert for us one night, and it was absolutely delicious. And so I want to make sure that I don't leave them out uh, tonight And uh, so in, in, in thinking about that. Uh, and obviously, for Matt and Sarah, and of course for Sister Pertle, for Gerald and Norma, John and Glenda, and her mother, uh, John's mother as well. Uh, for Shane and Mary, though Shane got sick and wasn't able. And so then he gave that job to Caleb and Joel and Patrick and Micah, and they did an excellent job, I'm going to tell you. I was stuffed last night when I got here, so I appreciate them so very much. And then, of course, Brian and Caitlin tonight. 
And from the bottom of our heart, uh, we appreciate that. Uh, and, and from night to night, all the, all the nice things that you've had to say, I, I appreciate that so very much. You don't know how much that encourages those who give themselves in the preaching and teaching of the gospel, uh, the kind things that you've said and the words of encouragement that you've offered from the bottom of my heart. Let me let you know how much I appreciate that and the encouragement that you've uh, given me. And so uh, I appreciate that so very much. But enough said. So let's get to the lesson and let's talk a little bit. We want to cl- uh, conclude our studies of talking about a compassionate heart. You know, we talked about a faithful heart last night, and certainly for us to be right with God, we have to have a faithful heart. It's an obedient heart that would submit to the Lord and do the things that the Lord tells them to do. But I'm afraid sometimes one of the areas that we may fail in, and that is of having compassion toward others. And it's one thing that all of us as Christians that we certainly need to do. There's a lot of things that go on around us, and a lot of people that we run across in our day-to-day lives that certainly we can show compassion toward them. If we find ourselves in the position or the condition that they themselves uh, are in, then we may want somebody to show, uh, would want somebody to show compassion toward us. And so I want us to conclude with this line of thinking. Peter said this in 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. He said, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Then does he expect us to be compassionate toward each other? Does he want us to show compassion toward our fellow Christians and fellow servants of the Lord? And the answer to that, obviously, is yes. But then he says, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, be kind and compassionate and courteous. You know, during this COVID-19 thing, I'm afraid that there are some that have not been as courteous as toward others as they should have been. And the sad thing about it is that I've seen division in the body of Christ in numbers of places because of this very thing and because of what's going on. Instead of supporting our elders and, and upholding their hands and decisions that they make, if it's matters of opinion, then they have a right to their opinion and we should submit ourselves to them and we should be kind and considerate and compassionate toward others. And that's a thing sometimes I'm afraid that's been lacking He said, and not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. You were called to this. This is what the Lord expects us to be in our lives. He expects us to be compassionate toward others. Now, first of all, I want us to give a definition to this ideal of compassionate. Uh. He said, suffering, Mr. Thayer does, suffering or feeling the like with another and sympathetic. So suffering or feeling the like with another. Whatever it is that they're feeling, experiencing or going through, is feel that with them. Have compassion toward them in this. You know, uh, Vine says this. He said, denote suffering with or compassionate. Now here's the Greek word, sympathes. He says, it's where we get our English word sympathy. So we show compassion or sympathy toward other people and the things that they're experiencing in life. And so we have to be make sure that we are a compassionate people. Now, first of all, I want you to think with me that this is a trait of God. 
You know, we looked at Philippians 2 the other night, and we talked about let this mind be in you, which was also in the mind of Christ, and we noticed that that mind was a humble mind. You know, one of the things that the Bible teaches us to be and to do, and that is that we have to make sure that we're God-like in our lives. Does he expect that of us? He wants us to be like his Father. Now, you think for just a minute how the Father is. You know, the Bible tells us, for instance, Peter does, he says that God is holy. He said, be you holy, for God is holy. Does he expect that of us? He expect us to be holy? Does he expect us to be a separated people from the rest of the world? Well, that's exactly what he wants us to be. You know, the Bible teaches us that God is love. Does he want us to love? You know, even in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, one of the things that he tells us to do is to love our enemies. And then he holds God up as an example of a person who loves. He said he makes it to rain on the just and the unjust. Does he even love those that are not worthy of that? He loved us. When were we ever worthy of such love? We've never been that worthy of such love. But yet he still loves us. And that's what he expects of us. The Bible says that God is light. Does he expect us to be light? In Matthew 5, he tells us to be the salt of the earth and lights to the world. He wants us to illuminate the world. He wants us to show that Christ is living in us. He wants us to live such a life that we can direct people to the Lord. That's what he expects of us. That's what he wants of us. But he also is a compassionate God. Even in that Sermon on the Mount, it said God is perfect. Does he expect us to be perfect? That should be our aim. We'll never reach perfection, but that it should always be our aim of striving to be without sin in our lives. Sometimes the word perfect carries with it the ideal of being complete. But he wants us to strive toward perfection. He wants us to put sin out of our lives, and he wants us to love him and serve him and be faithful and loyal to him. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? But it's a challenge that we need to work at in meeting in our lives day by day and to be a compassionate, loving, and caring people. Compassion was a trait of God. For instance, toward Israel, even in the wilderness, the psalmist said this in Psalm 78, verses 38 and 39. He said, but he being full of compassion. Interesting, isn't it? He didn't just say he had compassion toward. He said here he was full of compassion. You know, if you go back and look at the children of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness, how many times did God show compassion toward them? Could he have destroyed them at any time and been just in doing that? Well, absolutely. You know, it always amazed me as you look at the children of Israel when he takes them out of Egyptian bondage and he leads them in the wilderness. They're made to wander 40 years because of listening to the bad report of the 10 spies. And how many times they murmured and complained against God. But yet over and over, he showed compassion toward them. He said, and he forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time... He turned his anger away many a time. You know, as I read that and as I was reading this today of looking back over the lesson, you know, I wonder how many times he has shown that kind of compassion toward me. Many, many, many times. 
shouldn't I have compassion toward others as a result of what God has had toward me? Of how many times his anger has been turned away? And did not stir up all, some interesting expressions through this work, did not stir up all his wrath. He said, for he remembered that they were but flesh. They were but flesh. He said, a breath that passes away and does not come again. He was compassionate toward them, just like he's compassionate toward you and I as well. So when we think about compassion, certainly it's a trait that God has and that God has shown toward us, no doubt, many, many, many times. And it's a trait or a characteristic that you and I need to possess as well. Even in Israel's rebellion. Now, this is before they rebel, but this is a warning that he sounds. If you back up in the previous chapter in Deuteronomy 20, 29, he warns about the fact that they could be guilty of sin, that they could turn away from God, turn from his commandments, and they could turn to idolatry. Now, he tells them in this, he said, Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where your Lord, your God, drives you. Now, he's going to drive them there. They're not driven there yet. It's because of the rejection of God's law and God's command. It's because of the fact that they turn to idols and serve idols that he drives them there. First, there's the Assyrian captivity. Then later, there's the Babylonian captivity. You know, we noticed in the book of Nehemiah, they returned to the land from Babylonian captivity. They spent 70 years there. And the reason that they spent 70 years there is because of the rejection of God and his law and his commands. And they had turned and worshiped and served idols. So he's warning them here. He said, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you. He'll have compassion on you. But now when would he have that? When they repented? When they turned back to God? When they gave up their idols? And when they sought the forgiveness that was offered to them by God, he said, and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. And he did scatter them because of their unfaithfulness and their ungodliness. But he said he would have compassion on them. And so it's a traitor, a characteristic that we can see of God, even when Israel would rebel against them. The psalmist prayed, uh, is praising the Father because of that. He said he has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. You know, that's the God that we serve. It's a God that is merciful and long-suffering. It's a God that's compassionate even when we are guilty of sin, and he gives us opportunities to be saved. You know, I often wonder sometimes when people drift away from the Lord of all the opportunities that the Father gives them to repent and come back and so that you might have compassion upon them and forgive them and cleanse them. And I see many times people reject the offer of forgiveness and the offer of receiving compassion from a merciful God. But it's a traitor characteristic that he, he has, and here the psalmist is thanking him for that. 
In Psalms 145, verses 89, he said, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. That doesn't always describe us, does it? Slow to anger, great in mercy. But it describes our God. And certainly it's a trait or a characteristic that you and I need to possess as well. The Lord is good to all. Good to all. As I said, he made the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And he gives people the opportunity to be saved by the grace of God. And his tender mercies are over all his works. Tender mercies. He is a Lord that's gracious and he's full full of compassion. I remember sitting and listening to a fellow preach, and if I told you his name, you probably would recognize who it is, though he's unfaithful as far as I know at this time and hadn't preached in a good number of years. But there's something that he said in a sermon that I was sitting and listening to him. He said, if you think about it, he said, we've not been out-taught he said, we've not been out-debated, but he said, we've been out-loved. And I have a tendency to agree with that. I, I don't think we've been out-taught, and I don't think we've been out-debated. But I do think that we've been out-loved, and when you love someone, you're willing to show compassion on them. And as a result of not loving like we should, then we don't have the kind of compassion toward others that we should have. And I think that is a problem sometimes that we, we face and have to deal with. And so we need to be like our Father. We need to be full of compassion as well. You know, the compassionate heart is one that will show itself by the deeds that it does. You know, it's just like love. You know, I can tell my wife I love her, and that's good, isn't it? that I am willing to do that. But do, do you think that she expects something else besides me just telling her that? Does she expect me to show that in my life? Well, I can tell you right now, she does. After 51 years of marriage, I mean, I know that she expects a little more than me just telling her that. She likes me to tell her that, but she likes me to show that as well. But in the same true with you in your life? Don't, don't you need to show it as well? Well, compassion will show itself in the action that it takes. For instance, notice this illustration of Jesus giving sight to the blind. He said, now as they went out of Jericho, said a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open." So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Action. Action that was taken toward them. You know, the, to me at least, there's something that stands out in this story simply besides the fact that he gives sight 
give sight to these two blind men. The multitude warned them that they should be quiet. That kind of sticks out to me. I don't know about you, but it kind of stands out to me. What if they had been blind? What if they couldn't have seen? Do you think they'd have been quiet? And really what they were trying to tell Jesus to do, you withhold your compassion from them. You be quiet and you remain blind. But no, if it had been them, I think they would have approached Jesus as well, don't you? That's the reason why Jesus shows compassion, because he's a compassionate individual. You know, we need to be able to empathize with people, put ourselves in that position to see where they're coming from. And so Jesus restores their sight. And so we can see compassion in action. Even his healing of leprosy in Matthew, or in Mark 1, verses 40 through 42. He said, now leopard came to him imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, he said, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and was cleansed. There were different kinds of leprosy, obviously, that were spoken in the Bible. And the most severe kind of leprosy would eat away at the flesh, eat away at the joints. Have you ever seen pictures of someone who had leprosy? You know, you, know, you might look at them and you might see that the fingers were beginning to fall off. Or he was eating away at the ears or eating away at the nose. It was an absolutely terrible disease that someone had. Here's a leper that he's imploring and he's crying out. And he wants to be healed of this awful disease. Jesus has compassion on him. And he cleanses him of that leprosy. You know, you and I have leprosy of the soul, don't we? Sin. But he makes it possible for us to be forgiven. It eats away and destroys the soul of the individual. That's why we need his grace and mercy and why we need his compassion toward us so that we can be forgiven as well. But you see compassion in action in the life of Jesus. On occasion, Christ providing physical food. In Matthew 15, verses 32 through 34, he said, now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude. I care about them. He said, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. You ever been three days without food? I went overseas one year with Charlie Gann. I don't know if any of you know Brother Charlie Gann or not. Charlie lives in Texas. Charlie spent a long time in Russia. I remember being overseas with him one day, and we got up one morning, and I noticed that he didn't eat anything for breakfast. I'm kind of wondering why he's not eating. Charlie fasted for about two or three days, didn't eat anything. Now, he didn't make, want me to understand why he was doing that and to call attention to him, but he simply would do that. He says it helped him. When I got back home, I tried that for one day. I made it one day. And actually, I could, think I could have made it two. I, I really wasn't that hungry the second day. 
It's amazing how it affects your body and how it uh, causes you to focus your attention in other areas of your life, I think. And I think that's really what fasting is all about. Life is more than food, isn't it? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But here he, he sees some people that hadn't had anything to eat in three days. He said, and I do not want to send them away hungry. He said, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, he said, where can we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill, uh, to fill such a great multitude? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fishes. So here he has compassion on this multitude. He, he realizes that they've been with him for three days and they've been listening to the, what he had to say. And he didn't want to send them away. So he has compassion on He wants to give them something to eat. Is that the kind of heart that we have, a heart of compassion, that we find somebody that's hungry, that we want to give them something to eat? Let me tell you something that happened to me when I was in Tullahoma. There's a young lady that came and stayed with Sylvia and I for either two or four weeks. I, remember, I don't remember. I think it's four weeks. She's since married, and she married a preacher. And I'll not tell you who she is because she wouldn't want me to tell you that. And that's beside the point. That's not what, what I'm trying to, uh, to, to share with you is her name. But you know when she saw someone begging, now she wouldn't give them money. That's the wrong thing to do, isn't it? But you know what she always had? She always had a little bag with her, and inside that bag, she always had snacks, food, so that she could share that. And inside that, not only would she make sure that they had something to eat, but she always had a Bible, and she always gave them a Bible. She was coming home from church services one Sunday. She saw the police had a fellow who was begging on the street, and so she pulled in the parking lot and watched till the police left. And then after the police left, she went up and she made sure he had food and she made sure that he had a Bible. Now, what made her do that? Compassion. That's the kind of person she was. She's still that kind of person to this day. She lives far away from me, but I keep up with her. She's one of the most sweet, humble wife and mother that you could ever possible meet. That's the kind of person that she is. If I told you her name, there's some sitting in this audience today that know her. <laughs> but that's the kind of person she is. Compassion in action, as we can see. What about the Good Samaritan? In Luke 10, beginning in verses 30 through 35, it said, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He didn't want to get too close to him, did he? He said, Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side as well. 
He said, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion, had compassion on him. He said, and so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, which was two days' wages. He said, and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, he said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Now understand this priest and the Levite, this would be the religious leaders of this day and time. But these religious leaders, instead of stopping and helping and having compassion, they didn't want to get anywhere near him, and they passed by on the other side. Wouldn't that describe us, that we don't want to get involved in anything? We don't want to show compassion on a person? We've already decided that they're not worthy of help, and so we don't help because we have already concluded that they're not worthy. Or do we want to get involved? You know, I tell people all the time this. You know, sometimes we help people and they take advantage of us, and I understand that. But can we stop helping simply because one person takes advantage of us? Do we stop helping everybody because of that? No. Absolutely not. We are still to have compassion upon other people. Now, let me suggest one other thing, and the lesson will be here. Think of a requirement of this being required of us. Actually, it's a command, isn't it? In Colossians 3, verses 12 through 13, he said, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Now, I want you to look at this tender mercies. The New American Standard Version says, put on a heart of compassion. That's tender mercy. To have a heart of compassion toward other people. That's what we're talking about tonight. Have that heart of compassion toward other people. Be willing to get involved. Be willing to help. That's what the Lord wants us to do. That's how we can be the salt of the earth and lights of the world. It's when we have a compassionate heart. So it's something we see that's required. It's one that can see the spiritual needs of others. He said, but when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary, talking about Jesus here, and scattered. He said, like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I forgot to say this in the beginning, so I'll say it. This reminded me of something I forgot. You have two great gospel preachers here. You uphold their hands and support them as they do their best to share the gospel with other people. David and Teresa have been here for a long time, and obviously they work well with this congregation. Appreciate them. Love them, support them, and help them, aid them. But let's make sure that we look around us and we see the spiritual needs of the people that we're around. Is there anything greater that you could do for a person than teach him the gospel of Jesus Christ? There's nothing greater that you could do. 
to share the gospel and so that others can be saved. You know, as I look back on my life, there's absolutely none of my forefathers that were Christians and servants of God, not a single one that I know of. If we were anything, my forefathers, if they were anything religiously, they would either have been Pentecostal, members of the Church of God, or members of the Methodist Church. None of my family were members of the Lord's Church. And actually, I don't recall any of them being very religious. But you know, someone took the time to teach some of us the gospel so that we could be saved and so that we could share it with other in our family. And so there are good numbers of my people now that are Christians simply because of one being taught the first time. And it's given me the opportunity to be a Christian and to be able to do what I love to do. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he says here, pray. Pray the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. In 1997, Greg Gwynn and I, we're in Podolsk, Russia, just south of Moscow. And there was a guy in the city of Moscow who was taught the gospel and who had rendered obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he asked us if we would come to Kishno and Moldova to teach his family the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think it was in 97. Could have been in 95, 96, somewhere along in that time frame. So we began making plans to go and to teach the gospel. You know, there's a faithful church in the city of, of Kishno in Moldova right now. It's the only church that I know in that area that even owns a building. They own a building because of Christians in this country. But because this individual wanted some to come and to share the gospel with his family and several went. Several still go. If any of you know John Gentry, John still goes quite a bit. He and others preach the gospel. But you see, there are people that can see the needs. And the need is to have compassion upon people so that they, we can teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to do. See, that's a requirement for us to see that need. And to share that gospel with other people as well. And if we're truly compassionate, then we're willing to forgive those who may have wronged us. In Matthew, the 18th chapter, you remember back a little earlier, Jesus was talking about if your brother sinned against you, you remember, go and tell it to your brother alone. And, and uh, if he'll hear thee, you've gained a brother. If he'll not hear you, tell it to the church. Take one or two others with you and various things, you know along that line. Peter eventually asked the question, 
How many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times. It's pretty. He thought. I think he thought he was being generous. There's some passages in the Old Testament that almost seems to indicate that you only had to forgive him like three times. But that, that's misapplication. I think of that. But Peter thought he's being generous. Remember what the Lord said? Up to seventy times seven. Does he mean that I just have to forgive somebody four hundred and ninety times? Is that is that what he's is that, is that the meaning there? No, that's that's not the meaning of it. The meaning is, is whenever he repents that I have to be willing to forgive him. And the, the reason that I should forgive him is because of having compassion uh, upon him. Jesus states this. Then. He said, therefore, if the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant, and when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I don't know if you understand how much 10,000 talents is. And, of course, it's according to whether it's gold or silver talent. Even if it's silver, it's several million dollars, my understanding is. So you're talking about a great sum that this individual owed. He said, but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. But the servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. He released him and forgave him the debt. You remember what happened next, don't you? There was another servant that owed him a hundred denarii, hundred days' wages. He demanded that he pay him. He didn't have the money to pay him. And yet he didn't have compassion upon him. And then, of course, the master finds out what this servant did. He delivers him to the torturers until he's able to pay. Now, the point of this story is, how much has God forgiven us? 100 denarii or 10,000 talents of gold or silver? How many times has he forgiven you? And if God has forgiven me that many times, how many times should I forgive my brother that has sinned against me and seeks my forgiveness? Should I have compassion upon him and forgive him? And the answer to that is absolutely, regardless of how many times. He may have failed or sinned against me, if he repents and asks, then I should always be willing to have compassion and forgive him. See, that's a requirement that we can see of God as well. And certainly we can rejoice with those that return. In Luke 15, we mentioned this the other night, there are four lost things in this particular story. There was the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, and then there was the older son that was lost as well. Here the prodigal son comes back. He said, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, had compassion, 
and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. But now what about the older son? How did he respond to this? Oh, he was angry. He was upset. He didn't have compassion, did he? But here we can see that the father had compassion upon this son, this prodigal son. Though he had wasted everything that the father had given him. Was he concerned about that? No, he wasn't concerned about that. He's concerned about the son that returns and the son that's repented and the son that's come back home. Have you ever seen someone come forth in an assembly like this and confess sin and hear someone say, well, I wonder how long they'll be faithful this time? Wow. Isn't that amazing? Where's the compassion? Where's the willingness to forgive? Being willing to encourage and do your best to strengthen and help so that they'll be faithful and loyal to God. See, this is what the Lord requires of us, and we should rejoice over anyone that repents and comes back, regardless of who it is. You know, the church at Hicker Heights is the fourth church that I've worked with on a regular basis. And I'm not saying this disrespectful to any of the other congregations that I work with. But I've seen people who come back and repent since I've been at Hickory Heights, and I find the brethren there to be some of the most compassionate, loving, and caring people that I've ever been around. They line up to hug and to say something to someone who's repented or come back or one who's obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that how it's supposed to be? I think that's how it's supposed to be. And see, it's what the Lord requires of us. As we close, would you describe your heart as being a heart of compassion, that you have compassion, love, care, and concern for other people? As I said the other night, the older I get, I think the more tenderhearted I become and cry easier. But... I don't think that's all bad. (laughs) I think the Lord wants us to care about other people. And he wants us to show our love. And he wants us to be a compassionate, loving, and caring people. Is that what kind of person you are? I certainly hope it is. And it could be that you're in this audience this evening and you're not a Christian. This is a good time for you to render obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you through faith will repent of your sins, confess your faith that Jesus is Lord, we'll be glad to immerse you in water for remission of sins. You can arise a new creature in Christ Jesus to walk in newness of life. Or if you've done that, maybe you've failed him in some way. Maybe you haven't been a compassionate, loving, and caring person like you know that you should be. Maybe you've been harsh and critical of others instead of being compassionate and loving and caring. Repent of that. 
Ask God to forgive you. We'll pray with and for you. The Lord will forgive you and cleanse you. So if you're here this evening and subject to the Lord's invitation, certainly make your way to the front. Let your wishes be made known. As we stand together to sing this hymn, we encourage you as our brother.